Avengers! Welcome back, everyone, to another episode of Talking Smack, where we talk superheroes, movies, animation, and comics. I'm your host, Josh Scar, and joining me this week is the one, the only, the hairiest little furball you'll ever see this side of the galaxy, Alex. Alex, how you doing? I am doing fantastic. I'm excited for tomorrow's coronation as a country we kicked out over 250 years ago has a king again. (laughs) Is that tomorrow? I thought that was today. No, that is tomorrow at 5 a.m. Central Time. Okay, I thought it was going to be rude of them to do the coronation on Cinco de Mayo, so I'm glad they're doing it the day after. (laughs) Revenge of the Sixth, that seems appropriate. And we are joined this week by a very special guest. Uh, She has been on the podcast before. Uh, It's one of my favorite episodes we've ever done. It was the one-year retrospective on the Falcon and the Winter Soldier. Uh, Rainy from the Red Dove Podcast. Rainy, welcome back. Hi, thank you for having me back. I'm so excited to be here. Of course, we are very happy to have you back and uh, very excited to be talking about Guardians of the Galaxy this week. But first, please remind everyone what the Red Dove podcast is all about. Absolutely. Thank you. Yes, our podcast, the Red Dove, it's uh, me and uh, Liz and Blue, and we are female storytellers and our stories center on black women, mental health and uh, social justice. So it's kind of a hodgepodge of a lot of different things, whatever we feel like and uh, important things in the news and history. And, you know, it's just kind of us just sitting around the table and talking. So it's a lot of fun. Yeah. It's, it's one of my favorite podcasts out there. And uh, I just, again, privileged to have you on with us this week. And uh, just, what did you do for Cinco de Mayo? Um, I tried to keep students in line. I'm a teacher. So uh, <laughs> it was, they all wanted to get tacos. It was tacos on Friday. I don't know why the cafeteria did that because it just, just was a nightmare and it was raining all day today. So they couldn't leave. So I just kind of sat right around the end of the day. I just watched my entire class just descend into chaos. And I was like, I'm going home and getting a margarita. <laughs> that sounds like the right thing to do after a day like that. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, it's Friday. I mean, I understand the the idea behind doing a tacos on Cinco de Mayo, but like, just do pizza. Yes. Keep it simple. Such a mess. <laughs> Taco pizza. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> there you go. Uh, this is a tangent. Alex, you're editing this week, so if you want to cut this out, you can. But uh, <laughs> I was I was on a job in Madison today or this week. the The site I was working on, they were, they offered to buy myself and my coworker pizza. And uh, I heard the guy tell whoever was running to get the pizza. He's like, uh, just get me this, 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 and then just get two boxes of like regular stuff, regular pizza. Like, okay. Yeah, I'll be back. And he, he comes back uh, about 45 minutes later. He's got two boxes of pizza. My coworker and I take a break. We open up the first box and it's ravioli pizza. <laughs> and I'm like, I heard the guy. He said, get regular pizza. What is this giant ravioli doing on a pizza? And so I opened the the box underneath and it's mac and cheese pizza. Okay. That one's okay. (laughs) It's still not regular pizza. Like the guy said, get regular pizza in my brain. That's cheese or pepperoni. Like that's the regular stuff that you, that's safe for everyone. You're going to appease everyone that eats pizza. And I'm like, 
I'm going to go walk to Subway. <laughs> I'm not eating this because the ravioli was also cheese ravioli. Oh. If it was a meat ravioli, I would have been fine. But like, that's too much cheese. Like, I'm not lactose intolerant. But if I still it, that's still too much dairy, like I'm I'm going to be sitting there with a churning stomach the rest of the night. I, I'm trying to figure out. Was he trying to make a calzone and failed? <laughs> <with ravioli pizza. laughs> like was I, it one big ravioli or was there a lot of ravioli there was it, it was like two or three ravi- three or four raviolis per piece and it was decent size like 50 cent size ravioli pieces so like it was it was heavy pizza huh or, uh, yeah the slices were heavy because of the ravioli on it and it's just the the strangest thing in my brain and i i blame it on madison just because they're they're a college town and college towns do weird things with food. <laughs> you know, I would like to know, like, what else is regular to this person? Like, if you. <laughs> Thank you. Exactly. If you to say, hey, you know, if he comes up, I had a regular day, like a regular day to us might mean something completely different to him. <laughs> I <just> wonder. <laughs> exactly. And with that, we're going to go to someone who is regularly just putting out amazing content. We're going to talk or we're going to hear from Antonio over at the Cultworthy podcast. And when we come back, we're going to talk Guardians of the Galaxy with Rainy. We will be right back. The Cultworthy podcast. Join me, Antonio Palacios, each week as I guide you through a never ending sea of obscure cinema and Cultworthy gems that deserve a rediscovery. Find me on all listening platforms and at thecultworthy.com. The Cultworthy Podcast. Join us. And we are back. We are here to talk about Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3. But before we do that, I have a trivia question for Alex and Rainey. And that question pertains to the MCU and Guardians of the Galaxy. It has five answers. Oh, no. Uh-oh. You guys get to work together as a team on this. I'll, there's no real time limit, but if it starts pushing like 10 minutes of this recording session already, then we're going to I'll just give you the answers. But the question is, there have been multiple actors to play multiple roles within the MCU, depending on how deep you want to go. There's been a, almost 20 at this point. In Guardians of the Galaxy, specifically, there have been five people who have played multiple roles between Guardians of the Galaxy and other MCU roles or even in both. Can you name those five actors? Oh, hmm. okay. So, are we counting just the Marvel silo, or is just 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 the the Marvel Disney silo? It's not like Fox X Men and other okay. crossovers or DC characters. Okay. Are we counting voices too? Good question. Great question. Yes, voices count. One is Nathan Fillion. Correct. Because he was in the first movie as the voice of one of the prison people. Yeah, he's the one that got his nose shoved full of uh, Groot's twigs. Yes. <laughs> okay. Hmm. Um. This is this is a curveball. <laughs> now, it, did this movie make it the second? Like, is, is it specific to this movie, or is it just in general the MCU? This movie created the fourth and fifth one. Actually, no, I'm sorry. The third, fourth and fifth. Um, the hint I was going to give is it does not include the Netflix Marvel stuff and it does not include like Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. or um, uh, Agent Carter. Does it in- 
so it does include the the Disney live action series though. It does include Disney Plus, yes. Okay, then Tara Strong's another one because she played Miss Minutes and I believe she took over her mainframe. Correct. I was surprised. I was. I'm kind of shocked you got that one. Well, that's because I knew I I I I was listening and it was at Miley Cyrus and I went five dollars says that's Tara Strong. <laughs> I feel like Alex might run away with this one. <laughs> well, you're a team. There's no running away. You're MJ and Scotty Pippen. <laughs> um, um let me see so um hmm. i mean if it if this movie creates it it's not the main cast would it be huh will polter was he in will polter is not one of them though <sighs> the high revolutionary isn't one right no okay oh what about the voice of the dog Oh, Cosmo? Yeah, Cosmo. I don't believe so. That's actually a really great question. I don't know who does the voice for Cosmo. Oh, and the other thing is it does not include sequels. So like the the holiday special doesn't count. Otherwise, yeah, that that would definitely be a, a correct answer. Hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think I feel like it wouldn't be Sylvester Stallone is such a big character. I don't think it's him. It, it's minor. It's more minor characters, right? Yes. The, the rest of these, I would say, you are, are going to be fairly tough. Give you guys about two more minutes. <laughs> oh, this is okay. So, all right. There's so, so many characters. Not, it, and it's, it's not Elizabeth Debesky because she was in the last one. Mm-hmm. Uh, what about that Bat Woman? I feel like she felt a little familiar, like in the the kind of pseudo quasi counter Earth scene when they came in. Oh, her, her. Great question. I do not know who is under that makeup. Okay. Oh. oh, man. <laughs> <laughs> so you could be right, but <laughs> this is like credited. This person has a name, not not Batmom. Batmom. <laughs> well, I did see in the credits, there was someone credited as Guy Gamera Shot. <laughs> Gamora Shot, sorry. <laughs> My braces really hurt today. Are any <laughs> of them in the post credits? Hmm. Because there was like a little Easter egg in the post credits, and I'm wondering if that's that person. No. No, not that person. Okay. Darn. I'm trying so hard. <laughs> <laughs> About 60 more seconds. No, no, I know because I saw her name. Okay. Um, the the voice of the the um the otter, the weasel. Um, yes. Linda uh, Cardellini. Yes, Linda Cardellini. Right. Yes. Okay. She is the voice of Lila and she is Mama Hawkeye, aka Bobby Morse. Oh, nice. Good one. Good one. Good one. Good one. Okay. So we got three. Two more. I wish I didn't delete all the soundboard stuff. I could make this really pressure filled now. Oh, I, I will get some Jeopardy music and put it <laughs> and then get copyright truck. So, yep. Well, I mean, it's just I'm a little teapot, isn't it? Yes. It really is. What about the bunny or the walrus? I'm just going to throw those out there, too. Nope, nope not that I know of. Okay. Okay. Um, All right, final guesses. Complete random guess. They had Yondu recast with a different person. <laughs> <laughs> nope. <laughs> Darn it. <laughs> uh, um, was it a voice of another animal type thing? Uh, no, these two are going to be really obscure. This one, the, they're not tied directly into guardians three specifically. 
Um, so the first one I will say is Laura Haddock, AKA Peter Quill's mom. She plays a groupie in Captain America, the first Avenger and Peter Quill's mom. Ah. Um, and we also have Alex, you're going to love this one. Academy award winning actress, Michelle Yeoh. What? She what? had a cameo as Alita Agord in Guardians of the Galaxy 2 during the funeral scene. And she is also <gasps> Ying Nan in Shang-Chi. Oh my gosh, you're so right. She does have it. She, she's in that she's in that group shot when they do the little chest touch thing. Yep. Yes, yes, she is. Oh, I miss it. And that. then she is at the Yeah, and then she's the yes. She's, she's the aunt. Yes. Oh wow. Okay. You guys did pretty good. Three out of five is not bad. Not at all. All right. Well, we've procrastinated long enough. Let's get into our actual review of this movie. Um, so let's let's start with things that we liked, because I, I do spoiler alert already know Alex's thoughts. Um, and we will say spoiler warning ahead for Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3. We're just going to dive straight into it. No non-spoiler discussions. Um, we're just going to spoil this because... they kept a big chunk of the story for this movie out of all the trailers. So you kind of need to spoil it to be able to talk about it. Yeah. So Alex, let's start with you because again, I know you have more dislikes than likes probably. Uh, How, how, what did you like about this movie? I actually really enjoyed um, Cosmo. (laughs) (laughs) I want that dog. And I want to pet her and love her and tell her she's a good dog. <laughs> <laughs> she is a good dog. Yes. That is one thing that I liked. <laughs> <laughs> well, at least you didn't pull a slade from game club pod and say the credits. No. Oh. <laughs> what about you, Rainy? What did you like? Uh, I really enjoyed the soundtrack. Actually, I think hmm. I think Guardians of the Galaxy, all of them always do really good with that. I think maybe because I kind of grew up listening to a lot of that music. So it's pretty nostalgic for me. Um, I. I it was <laughs> there is a lot to it. It, was, it. There was a lot in this movie. Um, mm-hmm. I. I I guess I. I liked that. I don't know if this is a spoiler or not, but I, I like that it kind of it it found its natural end, and it didn't feel mm. like it was trying to milk more out of it. I, I think, like, I, I appreciate when film franchises and and TV shows kind of go through their natural arc, and it's okay to say goodbye, and yeah. they get okay to say goodbye, and they don't like jump the shark and like, well, how else can we stretch this for what it is? Like, you know, this is a natural breaking off point. And I think that the movie did a good job with that, that kind of like, okay, it's, it's time to move on. It's time to keep it moving and open up the universe for the MCU for different and new. Yeah, definitely. Um, And I mean, this is James Gunn's goodbye to the MCU since he's moving on to being the, co-head of the dc universe so like you can kind of feel the emotion of this nearly i mean with filming time it probably was a 10-year journey they probably started production in like 2012 of the first guardians so yeah this has been a 10-year journey for him 
Um, for me, I really, I found a lot of the performances really good. Um, I got to pull up IMDb really quick, just cause I'm going to butcher this guy's name. The guy who played the high evolutionary, like he did some Oscar acting, but I thought it was really good and really compelling. Um, guardians. Oh, right. Chukudi, uh, Iwuji. Yeah. Chukudi, Iwuji. Yes. Chukudi, Iwuji. Is that a sound clip or are you saying that? I can't quite tell. That is from Wikipedia. If you click, pl- if you click, listen. Okay, Chuck Woody Awuji. Um, I I thought he would he was really compelling. Like he was one of the better villains we've seen in Marvel since Thanos. Um, he he just put on a great performance, and uh, I I was really just drawn into that performance. Um, I thought. Chris Pratt for as much as you, we most everyone may not agree with his political stances. I thought he put in a really good performance too. Uh, I was really surprised at what he, he, he just put it all out there. Uh, lots of range of emotions. And um, honestly, I, I give a lot of props to James Gunn too, because I feel like he directed a really strong cast to give really great performances and uh, for the most part, I really enjoyed the script. There are some things that I'll get into with my gripes, but uh, overall, I thought the story was pretty well managed and there weren't any jokes that lingered too long. Uh, my biggest complaint with Guardians of the Galaxy 2 is that there are too many jokes that just take the family guy route where we're we're going to make it the longest joke ever and eventually it'll come back to being funny. And for me, it just never did. I'm like, move on. I get the joke. Let's go. I, I think I also really liked about this movie. Um, I like it when Marvel can kind of kind of show a mirror to society and show a mirror to us. And, mm. you know, this a lot of the ideas within that, you know, I mean, eugenics and this idea of perfect society. And maybe I'm feeling some kind of way about that because I'm literally I'm teaching about Anne Frank and the Holocaust right now. But like listening to you know, the villain, the high uh, evolutionary and his ideas. And it just mirrors what we've seen, you know, and we, we look at it as, oh, it's a superhero movie and it's implausible. But like even in space, like that is something that's mirrored out of humanity and, you know, the depths that humans will go to sometimes. And and then also the regular everyday people that can stand up to great evil like that. So, I mean, like in a very... um you know, metaphorical. <laughs> Here's my English teacher right now, <laughs> like looking at the theme and everything. I, I did really like that they showed that, and especially in the time that we're in now, like the dangers of that thought process and, you know, how it can kind of start simple and then it can turn into something really ugly, really fast and it can get out of control. I mm-hmm. thought that they did a good job with that. Yeah. Um, I just, I found this one probably between the three guardians movies, maybe guardian, the first guardians movie fits more from a color palette scheme. Um, but there outside of the, the sequence on the organic building, I don't remember what it was called. Um, but, uh, I felt like this was probably the most tonally consistent with the MCU movie. Like it, it looked like it belonged in the MCU other than that sequence on the, the organic building. And uh, like that was I think that was like the most James Gunn sequence of the movie. Like this is 
that was probably where Marvel went. You just have fun here for 20 minutes, <laughs> do a heist scene again, and we'll we'll come back and do the Marvel thing after. Um, but it was I, I just I really enjoyed this movie. I'm going to have a lot of gripes here that I, I are really just nitpicks for the most part. Um, but really, uh, I think this is this might for me, at least be the best Guardians of the Galaxy movie they've done. Um, I think it's really tonally consistent with what James Gunn has built, but it's more mature from what, especially from Guardians 2. And it just, it it, it hit something for me. I don't know exactly what it was, but I was drawn into it completely. And it's, I think it is probably Marvel's best movie since Endgame. And uh, that includes Shang-Chi. I think Shang-Chi is great. uh, But I I think the third act kind of lets it down, especially with like, um, Aquafina's character who just becomes a master bows bowman I, I forget archer that's the word becomes <laughs> a master archer within f- 24 hours like uh come on but we're, we're gonna get into the meat here now um Alex please hit us with all the things that you did not like about this movie we've got about 35 minutes so keep it keep it tight Oh, well, I'm going to have to bow out then. Um, I, I, let me just go through my paperwork. Um, <clears throat> so if I could use one word to describe this movie, it would be ugly. The tone was just ugly. The treatment of animals, the treatment of the portrayal of the characters, all they do is scream at each other. The characterizations of Drax and Mantis and Nebula have reduced them to just stock characters who just yell as their emotional perspective. Drax has lost all semblance of a character. He is now just a big dumb oaf. Mantis is his um, his kind of browbeaten um, sidekick who they do have emotional moments and that kind of works. Nebula didn't work for me this as much as she had a better characterization, but I have a problem with the movie in that it seemed to be an it seemed to not have a consistent understanding of what it wanted to say. And I thought maybe towards the end what it was trying to say was treat each other well, treat animals with respect. You know, because at one point they're saying, hey, save all the you know intelligent beings, but not the non-intelligent ones. But that is immediately yanked back, if that is what they were trying to say, by the end, by the first end credit scene. Because I did I did think about that a little bit. Yeah, that, that went a little Star Wars where it's like, oh, it's a creature. We better kill it. Yeah, it, where, where you had a entire, they're apparently the first new Guardians of the Galaxy mission, or one of their missions, is to slaughter an entire um, stampede of space sheep. <laughs> After they had just said, we're going to save all the animals. I, I, I had no joy watching this movie. And part of that was, um, I, I go and see these movies with my with my wife and our best friend and hearing them like kind of sob throughout the movie. I was like, okay, maybe they're actually getting something out of this. Cause I was just kind of like stone faced, like thank you for the 19th scene of visceral pain of watching animals be tortured for your fun. Um, and I'm supposed to be enjoying this movie. 
and at the end of it, when the movie finally ended and we went outside to go talk, there was like they said, and this is they said, these were not good ugly cries. These were angry cries of why are you making me watch this? Hmm. So yeah, I hated this movie. Bar none. I do think it, it went a little too hard into the misery porn a little bit, um, especially during Rocket's escape. Those parts really lingered, which I I can understand from an artistic standpoint of why you need to like have the audience sit through probably three minutes of it instead of 30 seconds. But it, it got to a point where, yeah, I was like, OK, I get it. We need to be feeling something right now. Please, let's let's get back to everything else, because like we understand Rocket's motivation at this point. It felt like it kind of hammered in on that and it was that was too much and you know one of the things that I've always loved about Marvel is something that I can share with my family my children and I've always taken them and it's never been a problem and this was one of the first ones where I was like this is a problem like Mm -hmm. I took my kids into this and you know maybe that's my fault but I mean like you know it's always superhero violence you know it's never really too too much so we've watched all of the marvels together and this was the first one my son was sobbing next to me he yeah cried at that scene mm-hmm. and it just went on forever and i was shocked to watch it and it was it was so much and it was hurtful and i was like I, we get it i don't think that you need to browbeat us over how bad animal cruelty is and Mm -hmm. experimentation on animals like that was one of my biggest gripes about this movie was the depiction of cruelty and torture there are some places where that is necessary but i think that you need to have it in a type of setting where your audience is prepared for it not where people are going to kind of enjoy themselves and have a good time and that's not what you go to see when you go to see a Marvel movie to be hit with that. And, you know, again, with children and young people, I mean, there are so many kids in that audience because the Mm. first two guardians of the galaxy movies were hilarious and the kids loved it. And then you go into this and you're just like, Whoa. And I felt like the worst mother in the world. (laughs) My son was sitting on my lap, just like crying. And I was like, I can't believe I did this to him. And he felt it so viscerally because, you know, he he's not, he's never been exposed to anything like that. So uh, that was probably one of my biggest gripes with the movie was just like time and place like that. Sometimes that is really necessary to go in hard on that. But like, I don't think that this venue was the place that that needed to happen. Yeah. And a big spoiler warning here. Um, if you want to miss this, skip ahead like 20 seconds. Um, I wonder if James Gunn chose to go that hard in that moment because he knew there wasn't going to be a big character death like no one in the Guardians died. There are a couple fake outs, but none of that happens. And I wonder if that's where he was really trying to get that emotional attachment was through that sequence, which I, again, I, that was the one scene really for me where I'm like, okay, that, that was really unnecessary. Like you can insinuate a lot, like Bambi's mom dies off screen. We're still traumatized. Right. See, that is where I would say no. And that it's not that it is specifically him because it reminded me of watching the suicide squad movie he directed and wrote and he has that gratuitous violence scene of those birds in the cage that he sets on that they set on fire 
and has the villain monologue while the birds are screaming in the background. And that immediately brought me back to that because we had a discussion about how gratuitous and unnecessary that was when we reviewed that movie. And I immediately thought of that. And I was like, this is just him. Yeah, that, that could be him going back to his trauma uh, background with uh, the like toxic Avengers style movies and stuff yeah. that he came from. And that could just be him, for lack of a better word, paying homage to where he came from. But um, yeah, in in big and like to the Suicide Squad's credit, that was an R rated movie. So like you can get get away with stuff like that and people are kind of expecting a lot of violence in that kind of movie, even animal cruelty to an extent. But this that was just a, a bridge too far. And yeah. I, I again, even I was like, God, even Bambi's mom didn't suffer this badly. <laughs> yeah. Actually, I, have a, I have actually a question since we're talking about our ratings and stuff like that. So this is the first Marvel property that has the F bomb in it. And how absurd is it that they did not let Samuel L. Jackson drop it? It's an insult. No, I was going to say, did anybody laugh in your theater? Because like he said that and there was like a mild chuckle. But I had I knew it was coming because, you know, someone had tweeted like first Marvel F-bomb and, and James Gunn was like, oh, yeah, I came up with it on the day of set and it got this massive laugh. I'm excited for it. And it happened. And I was like, I heard a few chuckles. I kind of went, huh. I didn't hear a laugh in my theater. I went, oh, damn. Like they went there. <laughs> but um, yeah, no, I there was I was laughing more at. Uh, Nebula not understanding how to open a door, or a, a, a 1990s car door, um, which I, I thought that bit was pretty funny. That that bit was good because I had a car that had that issue. <laughs> it felt a little forced, like to use that kind of language for such a small problem. I don't know. I mean, like maybe that was supposed to be the humor of it, but I was like, man, if you're going to use your one f bomb, this is not the place to use it. Like, and the first f bomb in the Marvel universe, like again, have have nick fury send him a message or something like you have to let sam jackson be the one to do it <laughs> i agree completely <laughs> at least this means that i get my uh my deadpool's gonna have at least one f-bomb in his movie <laughs> yeah that was my that was immediately my second thought was deadpool's coming <laughs> <laughs> seriously um, so I've, I've got a small list of, of gripes from the movie for me. Um, I'm going to start with this one because I think it's probably the most story related. Um, Adam Warlock felt like such a waste. He was, he was mostly just a payoff to what happened at the end of guardians two. And you could literally just write a different ending, saving Peter from being frozen to death, where instead of doing the creation of Adam moment, you could have, alternate reality Gamora come up in a jetpack and save him. Cause she's learned a lesson about saving lives. Like, I think that might, might've been more emotionally resonant, but like I get Adam needs to have be in the movie because we teased him and we talked about him, but I think his arc was pretty wasted. I agree. I, I didn't feel, I feel like they could have done so much more with his character and it like, they didn't know what they wanted to do with him. And you know, his costume was great. He had all of this, like, great potential. And then it was just kind of wasted. And then it was like at the end of the movie, like, oh, OK, well, now he's a good guy. Yeah. And I thought Will Poulter was great in the role with what they oh. gave him, what little they gave him. I thought he was really good. Um, I like the fact that apparently he's dumb because he didn't cook long enough in his little pod. Um, although he, he basically is just himbo Thor again. Uh, yeah. But 
but overall, I, I liked what they did with him. I just hope that they they grow him in a way that's not just making him Drax 2.0. I found his in, his introduction, which basically was was the trope um, beat up Worf. You show the new threat in the galaxy by having him beat the crap out of anyone who's actually opposing. I was like, oh, okay, so this guy's going to have some trouble with him. And then it arced really weird. But I, it, they actually bought me back with him because of the weird I want to be hugged getting the, the cuddle pile at the end. <laughs> <laughs> That's where I was like, okay, I'm fine with this. <laughs> I, I realized midway through that they are not going to make him the bad guy. I mean, that he is not the, the main threat. His The threat for him is that he needs somebody to love him. <laughs> and what yeah. better place to get love than with the Guardians of the Galaxy who are all about winning by the power of friendship? Exactly. <laughs> Um, I do want to go back real quick uh, before I forget. Um, another thing I really enjoyed about this movie was the... Uh, the hallway scene when like they're the first time they're all together is like the guardians of the freaking galaxy. Um, mm-hmm. after rocket gets saved, um, that sequence I thought was really good. Uh, it, like again, some kind of gross James Gunn creatures with the, the war pigs. And, uh, when they're rescuing the, the kids, there's that one just, I, I love the way Mantis played it off where she's like, I didn't scream at you. There was something behind you. That was scary. You're fine. You're beautiful. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, that was one thing. I mean, like, I know it was James Gunn, but there, this movie was pretty gross in some places. Like, I, yeah. I reacted kind of poorly. Like, that whole bio ship, like, planet, and they landed on it. I was like, is that is that a, a human-sized follicle of hair? It, ugh, I was, I felt kind of <laughs> sick. And then I was like, what is this yellow goo is that they're just keep plopping it? What? is this what is this supposed to be and i'm just like is i i i was grossed out and i remember my son looked at me and he's like is is that skin are they on skin and i was like i think so and he was like that skin doesn't look very healthy <laughs> yeah i agree son it's it's yeah. pretty gross yeah thank you randy because that goes back to my whole like this movie's just that's why i chose the word ugly because when they got to that part, I expected some kind of like something fantastical or interesting. Instead, it was just they were that grossness of cutting through skin and then pulling the, you know, Winnie the Poohing with the Drax. Which, if you're, you know, like Nebula, if you're cutting a hole, you know how big Drax is. You've been with him for a while. <laughs> but then it had that those the Nathan filling in, you know, suits. And I'm just like why would you make them look like that? It, Cause all the like little jet packs look like r- ruptured zit pops. And I'm like, this is just, it feels gross. Yeah. When they first showed up on screen, yeah. I thought they were going to go for like a, a tardigras or tardigrades, whatever those yeah. little microbes are called. Mm-hmm. I thought that's what they were going for, but then they like turned their head. I'm like, Oh no, that's not them. That that's, that's not cute. No. Yeah. And, and, yeah, and that kind of was throughout the movie. Like, like like you said, Alex, even like the monsters and some of the scenes, you're just like, you know, this hodgepodge of animals and machines, but then it's just it's it's hard to look at some of it. Like I just like like that one that Mantis was like, Oh, you're not ugly, and I was like, Oh no, that's real ugly. Like I, <laughs> I was like I I, I, rem- I was reminded a little bit of that old like nineteen eighties movie, was it the thing? Mm-hmm. You know, just like yeah, just yeah. this just 
amorphous blob of flesh and you're just not sure what exactly you're looking at and i i was not a fan i didn't i didn't like looking at it yeah i that that could very well be why james gunn chose to go with the high evolutionary and do this sort of thing because it allowed him to to tap into that gross factor that he's so fond of um but i aside from his visual aesthetic which like I'm also not a fan of like Tim Burton's visual aesthetic. It feels the same for everything. Alex and I talked about that with them with the monster from Wednesday. Like (laughs) Wednesday was very aesthetically consistent. And then you get the Tim Burton monster where Tim Burton's like, that needs to look like something I put in my movies. It's just like, why can't you just make it look like a monster and not have the weird Tim Burton eyes? Those are trademarked, man. (laughs) (laughs) So are apparently hideous monsters like that. That's one thing I'm sure is going to come up when uh, his Superman has his uh, intergalactic zoo at his Fortress of Solitude. And Mm -hmm. I'm sure there's going to be some hideous monsters in the background of those. Well, like James Gunn, I think he also did Peacemaker, correct? Yes. Mm -hmm. And I mean, like, I I love that show, but God, some of that got really gnarly for me. I had to, like, turn away. So, I mean, that's... He definitely likes grossing his audiences out. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, before we move away from the the organic planet building thing, um, I don't remember if I mentioned this or not, but I thought the like color communicator joke, that was the one joke where it fell f- real flat for me, where like orange is green and green is the, the yellow suit and blue is the red suit. And I just, I, I didn't find that joke very funny. Like the explanation. And I get the punchline is Peter's like, that makes no sense at all. And everyone's like, it makes perfect sense. I don't know what you're talking about. It's intuitive. Yeah. <laughs> and done. And done. That was the uh, the taser face joke in this movie for me. It just went too long and it it didn't make any sense to anyone. And it was all there for the punchline of Drax going like, it makes perfect sense. You know what joke I did really like, though, in that organic matter mass was that one soldier guy who would just talk about having like a, a really sucky co-worker and just was talking about the guy just right in front of him. It's like, yeah, I've got one of those. He's yep, the worst. Yeah. I, guy. <laughs> I, thought yeah. it was, I was cracking up. I thought that was, I don't know why I thought it was so funny, but I thought it was hilarious. See, I, I will say one of the things I, I, I did actually like about the movie was the sequence leading up to getting to that planet where, Peter is going, you're they're actually showing Peter going through the motions of having to like hack the shields, like whatever resonance they have to get through them. I actually like that part, but I did like that. The joke came back around that he was trying to seduce that, um, Ura. lady. Yeah. Ura, Ura. Yes. <laughs> and then at the and then towards the end, he's like, listen, if you just let me talk to them, patch me into their suits so that I can say something. And she does it, and then he just hijacks the suits and goes, see, I told you she was in me. <laughs> I was like, yes. okay, we're actually getting intelligent Peter again. I like that. I like yeah, that. that was that was yeah. a real good sequence. Um, yeah. This part really bothered me because it, it was so inconsistent. With, uh, it was Gamora uh, as far as like the way they referred to her. Like I can understand Peter has this weird inability to detach uh, alternate universe Gamora from his Gamora that died. I get that. But everyone is just saying like, she doesn't remember. She doesn't remember what she is a different person. There's nothing to remember for her. And no one seems to understand that. And that drove me insane throughout this movie. Whenever, the, whenever they were talking about that. One of the things though, that I did really appreciate about this 
movie as, as hard as the, some of the scenes were to watch where I think so many times with superhero movies, we just expect the superheroes to just keep moving, keep trucking. All right. Something mm-hmm. traumatic happened in the last movie, but that's the last movie. And I, I think that it took a good look at grief and grief mm-hmm. in different ways and trauma. I mean, like they went through something, I mean, for five years, half of them weren't, didn't exist and they came back into a world that was completely different. And then for five years, they thought other people were missing and, you know, Peter lost the love of his life. Like they all lost something huge. And you see, I thought um, Mantis said something really poignant that I really like. She said, you know, I'm just because I'm the only one that doesn't hate myself. And I was like, that's like, they are all struggling in very different ways and they're not okay. And I I thought that that was something very interesting about the movie. It just kind of talks about, it's okay to not be okay. Like, you know, it's okay to not be able to bounce back and bounce back in lots of different ways. You know, um, was it, uh, the guy, the, the ravager, what was his name? The guy who Craglin. Yeah. You know, like his, you know, like performance anxiety issues or whatever was going on with that. But you know, him feeling like, you know, he's got these big roles to feel fill and he, he's, he's, he's missing Yondu you know, Peter has lost so many things, you know, Drax is still dealing with the death of his family and his child, you know, um, grew kind of growing up, but, you know, losing rocket rockets undealt with issues. I mean, like you really kind of see all of these different characters kind of dealing with their trauma. And I felt like very realistic human ways, like, you know, they, they are not coping very well. You know, Peter is drunk off his, you know, Heine at the beginning. And, you know, because he's drunk, his friend gets hurt really badly, you know, and, and the guilt that he feels for that. Like I, I did appreciate that, you know, they, they gave them that human, that humanness to them that, you know, that that's hard and people don't bounce back immediately. I thought I agree with that because that's one of the things that really bothered me about Thor love and thunder is that every time Thor shows up, um, in one of his solo movies, they seem to try to reset him to some some previous version. And Thor Love and Thunder really bothered me that he, all his character... One of the best sequences of a, of a Thor movie, I mean, of the MCU, is Rocket and Thor talking in the ship. And you realize that his smiles and kind of broness is a mask for how much pain he's carrying. And that he that chris hemsworth is able to pull that performance while talking to you know nothing and then bradley cooper is able to get in there and give you know great vocal responses i thought that was so good and i was so disappointed when love and thunder just chucked that out the window so i did enjoy that this movie that they ultimately did not do the fan servicey thing of like well I must have been in love with you, so now I'm going to be with you again. They respected that this is a different Gamora and that she has her own journey and has found her own family with the Ravagers. And I like that at the end of this movie, I was slightly disappointed that there were some deaths because, you know, it kind of felt hyped up that somebody's going to. But I like that they show that there is a character progression respect that Drax had lost his family and Nebula then is through Mantis's maturity is able to see I can give him a responsibility by we can take care of these children and that Nebula's arc has come around that she wants to protect children from being disassembled like she was 
And then you have Mantis like, I've never been anything. So she wanders off with three Cthulhu creatures. <laughs> <laughs> so I do respect the end point it got, that they got to. And I did really actually like that. That this is an ending that is not a death-filled you know, cemetery, but this is an ending of we no longer are a fractured family. We have to be we have to heal individually. Rainy, you get extra credit because you got Alex to talk positively about this movie. (laughs) (laughs) Yay. (laughs) Yeah. That's, that's one of the, I did feel like a little stirring in my heart, like bittersweet kind of like, yeah, it's, it's, it's goodbye. This is, it does feel like a goodbye, but like you said, Alex, everybody is finding their own path, their own path to healing. And I appreciated that a lot with that movie. So I was, I was a fan of that part. Yeah. And I do like that. They, uh, they hung a lantern on the fact that alternate universe Gamora didn't get snapped away. Like the rest of them, uh, like the rest of Thanos's crew. Um, so I, I like they're They're just like, she didn't get dusted. It's so like, what the hell? Um, but uh, I got two more gripes here that, uh, I, I kind of <laughs> want to touch on. Um, I was, I was going to like rapid fire, but they've apparently just branched off into pretty good discussions. Um, when rocket is, in his uh, Harry Potter's nine and three quarters station to heaven. Mm. When he, he gets confronted with Lila, I think it's a great scene, but I really wish they would have had rocket be the one to be like, I have to go back and avenge you guys. I have to go back and uh, take care of my family. My family still needs me. Instead. It's Lila who like says like, you're not coming with us yet. And he goes back. I, I feel like him being ready and willing to go kind of undercut his journey at that point. Cause he, he still Groot is his son. Like the, uh, the Russo brothers confirmed when Groot get, when Groot gets dusted in infinity war, when he says, I am Groot, he says, father, he's calling out to rocket. Like what's happening. Aww. So like rocket just being ready and willing to die. Just, it didn't sit right with me. See, I, I I took that as not a um the nine and three quarters station. I took that as Deadpool two, where she goes, "Hey, listen, you can't die yet. You got to go rescue your family and flicks him back to living." <laughs> That's a, a better analogy because J.K. Rowling is a turf and she sucks, and so does <laughs> Harry Potter. <laughs> I kind of took it as like he has been in pain for so long and he talks about how we talk the whole time, the whole movie, they talk about how he never let anyone in and he never let anybody be that close to him because, you know, that vulnerability is what hurt him before, you know, like, you know, having people that he cared about hurt him. And so for the one people who he got to grow up and be vulnerable the most with and that guilt, you know, I feel like he almost felt like he wasn't worthy to live. So Lila giving him the go ahead, like you are worthy and, you know, mm. we don't blame you for this. You don't have, you've, you've got a new family and it's okay to love this new family. That doesn't mean you love us any less and we're ready for you when it's your time, but it's not your time yet. You, you know, you've got more things to do. You know, I, I felt like it was more of Lila and the rest of them giving him permission to move on and, and not carry that hurt that he's carried around silently for all of these years. I like that. I like that. Mm -hmm. Rainy gets (laughs) double extra credit. Yay! (laughs) And then my last gripe is where the hell is star Lord's helmet? (laughs) 
That would have saved his life at the end of the movie. All he needed to do was click it on. He would have been fine. I mean, his life was saved anyway, but like, is Chris Pratt too big of a star to have his face obscured? He can't wear the mask now. Actually, I know the answer to that. Uh, James Gunn said on Twitter that it canonically in his movies was destroyed at the end of the second Guardians movie. Really? Yeah. So he ignored that in Endgame and like Thor Love and Thunder that he was wearing it. That canonically Hmm. in Guardians Galaxy 2, Ego smashes it. So he no longer has it. Okay. All right. I'll forgive that then. I take back that gripe. No, you can't take it back because canonically no, he has it in that love movies. Canonically, I have taken it back, so <laughs> I win. So I will say this. I had a nightmare last night. And it was about a bunny oh. that had a jigsaw mask on. Oh, no. And, and mechanical spider legs. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, Floor was not the best, cutest design ever. Oh, I felt no. so bad for her. That was yeah. nightmare fuel. For me, it was the walrus. Uh, the the clockwork orange eye gouge yeah, yeah. thing going on. Plus, like, I still have nightmares about the movie Tusk every now and then. Like, uh, oh, no, I, I don't like walruses anymore. <laughs> One of the things that I really kind of enjoyed about the movie was kind of that little talk you know, that kind of like um, with counter earth, I really kind of enjoyed watching that. Even if the animals, some of them were a little gross to look at, like, you know, how he has put all of this time and effort into making this perfect society, but you know, he leaves all emotions out of it. So, you know, you know, Quill says, how is this a perfect society when you have like, you know, some, like, I forgot what the animals were, but you know, they're selling drugs on the side of the street, you know, and like doing all of this, like you, you keep, destroying these things and and then you know how callous i mean i thought that they did such a great job with this villain because he was just just callous and just did not care for didn't didn't regard anything about life at all even him creating life and you know even the way he regarded rocket which was such a gut punch like He's given you something that you didn't think of before. And you were just like, oh, did you think that you were going to go? No, you are going to be destroyed. I I took everything I needed from you and off you go. Like, it really made me hate him. But it also really made me look at like, you know, this idea of a utopian society, you know, something I always teach my students is, you know, people always start off with the best intentions with utopias. But the bad thing about utopias are it's only a utopia for certain people. Like you can't make mm-hmm. a utopia that mm-hmm. works for everyone. It will always become a dystopia. It always will. It, it's impossible. So, you know, them showing that, that there is no such thing as a perfect society because life is not perfect. So it'll never work that way. Um, I liked it, but then I, I did like that. The whole counter earth was like set in the 1970s. <laughs> yes. For reasons. Yeah. Yeah. I am. Um, so I did appreciate the villain, and I actually really dug him. The part that made me distinctly uncomfortable, if like if I was an actor, is so when the High Revolutionary first meets um, uh, the Gold People, I forget it's the a Sovereign. Bit, sovereign. Sovereign. Yes, and he steps up onto like this little platform. I'm like, like okay, so you have to have an ego. You have to be slightly taller. It creeped me out so much when he like took her chin and then started making her mouth move for her and like touching her lip. I was like, you 
are gross. And if I was an actress, I think between scenes, I would probably hit you. (laughs) (laughs) You know, what was also interesting about, you know, the high evolutionary was he was so obsessed with perfection. But then when you look at his countenance, like it's gross, you know, like his Mm -hmm. face is literally peeling. You can see where he's made these really haphazard you know, like he, you can say he, he wants to be a perfectionist, but he's not perfect in what he does at all. He takes no time. He mm-hmm. rushes through everything mm-hmm. he does. You know, it's like, you know, I'm going to bring it back to my students again. Like, you know, when you have a kid who's like, here's this paper I just did. And you're like, you worked on this for 10 minutes and I can tell like it, this is crap. This is absolute crap. And that's all he does. But he expects greatness, but he puts zero time and effort into nurturing, into really putting things together you know and then he has the gall to call them abominations when they are abominations directly because of his actions you know like the narcissism which again i guess makes him a fantastic villain but just like i was i was wondering if at some point we were going to get a um a javier jean valjean kind of situation because he always referred to rocket as was it bp one nine three or something like that yeah there we go yeah and and i kept after like the fourth or fifth time i kept hearing javier screaming you know prisoner 24601 (laughs) (laughs) i was like i was like are we gonna get like some moment where he's like put in this impossible situation where it's like no i i thought we might kind of get to that point where he was like you were the one who actually figured out the rationale and could think on your own instead of memorizing and he would become conflicted about what to do with this, but no, nah, there was never that. The dude just a scumbag. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Weird sidebar. That's like the third Lay Miz reference I have had thrown at me this week between Ted Lasso, <laughs> uh, hanging out with my in laws, and now this. So I think I need to watch Lay Miz sometime this weekend. <laughs> the universe is telling you as such. Apparently. <laughs> yeah. But the question is which one? The, the correct answer is the Liam Neeson one obviously obviously yes <laughs> now no 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 there the the 25th anniversary staging of a musical is pretty decent yes but i don't know where i would watch that one i will find it for you <laughs> oh, much appreciated i love, I love lamez <laughs> yeah all right um so i'm just racking my brain now trying to see is there anything else i really I just I, again, I, I really enjoyed this movie as much as I, I have like these little nitpicks. And I think my biggest nitpick, if I, I had to pick one of them, it would just be that I feel like Adam Warlock is kind of wasted. Um, he just again, he doesn't for everything we've discussed. Has Adam Warlock come up once? No. Besides me referencing uh, Peter's mask and that being a, a solution to not having Adam save him. Like no. I. I I enjoyed him and I thought when he was on screen, I was really impressed with what he was doing and Will Poulter looks great. Like he had a glow up, like no one's business. Like everyone knows him as eyebrows kid from maze runner and uh, <laughs> uh, we're the Millers, but like dude, handsome dude. Now I, I will not, I'm not ashamed to admit that um, and he, he bulked up really, really hardcore for this. Um, so I, I'm excited to see him going forward in the MCU with whatever role they give him. But uh, yeah, I just would have liked to have seen him be more impactful to the story. Um, but as far as things I enjoyed, uh, 
yeah, Cosmo was a good girl. That was a good bit. Um, I liked it when they're playing poker and Cosmo's like retelling the story of how Crywin called her a bad dog. And they're just like, for the love of God, man, just tell her she's a good dog. And Kirk from Gilmore Girls is like, no, I will not. <laughs> I I like that apparently she is the Russian cosmonaut dog. Yeah, right. <laughs> I was like, because I was, I was like, wait, is she... She is talking about how Russia, they, you know, they thought they could leave me up there, but they could not. <laughs> That's awesome. And of course we get our, um, we get our very nice brief um, Howard the Duck cameo. Yes. <laughs> yep. <laughs> Seth Green showed up on, you know, in between Family Guy to record one line. <laughs> and, and um, uh, Warlock's uh, little cute fuzzy character thing oh his his not maurice <laughs> yeah right <laughs> from, from shang chi it was yeah. adorable i i i wish that we had had more time to flesh out like you said like some d- different characters too because i feel like a lot was going on a lot was throwing out because you have a bunch of new characters but then you're going back into rocket's backstory but then you're having this heist and you're watching what's happening with rocket on the ship but then you're also what hap- watching what's happening with the high evolutionary and then you know all these different heists like i i i if we had a little less going on so we could kind of focus more on the characters and character development, I think I would have liked that too. Cause I, I think that there was, it, sometimes it was hard keeping track of like, okay, wait, who's this person again? I don't remember what this yeah. is. Yeah. Like I was briefly lost that I was like, apparently um, the ship has the, apparently they're not even, they're, they're not necessarily unisex, they're unipurpose. They are toilet changing rooms. <laughs> I just found out because it was like, because like they're changing. I'm like, oh, because that scene went on a little long of them apparently showing just the tops of like their their shoulders and heads as they're not getting changed because Drax apparently thinks these colors clash with his eyes. <laughs> and I was like, okay, so there's changing kind of cubicles, and then later on, apparently they're they're also the toilets. And they apparently in the future in the space still use toilet paper, <laughs> as we saw from Gamora drops it as she runs out. Alex, I there is there is some character progression with Drax because he no longer has sensitive nipples. He's gotten over that. <laughs> yes, it's true. It's true. And he he's always wearing analogies. a shirt in this in this movie. And he knows what analogies are now. <laughs> and metaphors, he used those fantastically. Again, I was watching that. I was like, oh, yes. nailed it, nailed it. Yeah. <laughs> exactly um yeah a little more time on characters would have been nice so um before we get to the before we close out uh there there is two post-credit scenes or there are two post-credit scenes uh we talked about one where we see the new guardians team kind of having a little chat about their favorite music then they go all star wars and kill animals because that's what you do Hey, that's where Adam Warlock won me over. He he referenced King Crimson. I was like, yes. <laughs> <laughs> and Groot has become a kaiju. Um, oh, he's, dear Lord, he's just yes. monstrous. And Groot said, I love you guys. I lost it in the theater oh. when I heard that. Oh, that was a great. I I take that as Groot said, I, I am Groot. But they translated it for everyone. Right. Like, I, I, I don't think that's a moment where he, he like changes his verbiage, but I think it's a moment where they like translate it for everyone like we so we can I, share it. Yeah. I did like how Gamora is like, he's just saying his name. Like everybody else hears this, right? Like, I like that she makes yeah. verbal what everybody else has thought for the whole time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
I did like that. But and then at the end of the movie, she understands him because she spent 48 hours with them. Yeah. <laughs> that's all. It, that's all it takes to learn Groot is 48 hours. Very quickly. Uh, uh, no, because as we learned, Groot is a language at the um, at Thor's college. Asgard University. Yeah. <laughs> yes, yeah, right. Asgard University. It's like I took Groot in Asgard University. Yeah, it's a two day course. <laughs> it's a weekend course. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, but curriculars in. <laughs> <laughs> it's worth one credit <laughs> <laughs> but the uh the final post credit scene is peter hanging out with his still alive grandfather and uh they're just having a, a little chat peter's grandfather uh is reading a newspaper that's uh apparently breaking the story about kevin bacon's christmas in space <laughs> and uh that's it's just miserable. Peter complaining about how he doesn't want to be a 40 year old man having to mow the lawn. <laughs> uh, but then it says the legendary star Lord will return, which makes me believe that there's going to be some kind of Disney plus Peter having adventures in rural suburbia oh, uh, kind of di- uh, bonus thing sometime this year, next year. Well, and I was interested to see, cause he was like talking about like his, I guess, step grandmother's son how he was like mowing lawn or something. And it was like, but he doesn't mention who it is. And I was like, okay, who is it? Cause you know, remember he thought he had the wrong house when he knocked and he was like, Oh, I, I don't know who you are. And you know, and then figured it out. So I'm like, I've been trying to rack my brain. Like who could her son be this 45 year old, you know? And I'm trying to think like, you know, she was a black woman. I was like, so is it another, is it going to be another black superhero that's going to come out of the woodwork? Mm. Like who could that be? You know, and I was like, is it making way for possibly X-Men or something? Like, I was going a thousand miles a minute when I saw that. And I, you know what I liked about that scene, too, was it kind of harkened back to when we first started seeing post scenes, where it was just mm. very, like, it, it felt very like the very first Avengers, when they're all mm-hmm. sitting eating shawarma, and, like, the, you don't yeah. think anything's really happening. They're just talking and just eating. It felt exactly like that, you know, kind of like you don't get much out of it, but you, it's a lot that people are like trying to pick apart. Cause you know, after a while, everybody stays for the post scenes because you get these big Easter eggs, these big, Oh my gosh, that's, that's what's happening next. And and they didn't do it with this one. And I, I, I appreciated it. Yeah. I like the slice of life stuff that they do. Like, Oh, this is a slice of life in the Marvel universe. And Peter's just having some corn pops with his grandpa. I'm <laughs> <Yeah>, right. <laughs> See, I, I find it interesting that we have three very different interpretations of that ending scene. Because I, because what I thought he Peter was saying was that he felt bad that the that his the, his grandpa's caretaker was a forty five year old guy out there mowing the lawn when he's like I could be doing that. That's what I thought he was saying is like should should I be out there mowing? Because now we got this like middle aged guy and that's what I was interpreting it as. Uh, yeah, see, was- I I didn't I didn't clock the entire discussion. So I, I thought it was Peter being like, I'll do it. I'll go mow the lawn. I'm not going to like it, but yeah. I'll do it. See, I clocked it as he was crap talking about the guy mowing the lawn. Like this yeah, 45 year old guy out there mowing the lawn. Like I thought he was kind of disparaging the yeah. son. So <laughs> we all got, we took very different things from that. Oh yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I, I, I need my subtitles for moments like that, where he's just having this like <laughs> quiet conversation. And I, I need context. Right. <laughs> But that, that does remind me, I do like that. Uh, I, I, I like the I, the joke I probably laughed the most at was um, what when they were doing that hacking scene going into the shields 
and uh peter's explaining how from his limited knowledge of earth he's like humans only live to like 50 years old and mantis just immediately goes you're dying (laughs) (laughs) but yeah so we haven't done our ratings um on talking smack we have two ratings it's either a must-see or a pass uh for me i have clearly made my case for it is a must-see Alex, what is your talking smack rating? Must see or pass? Pass, man. <laughs> All right, Alex doesn't want to answer right now. So, Rainy, what's oh. your? <laughs> <laughs> All right, um, must see, but with caveats. Do not take children in to see it, and go knowing that it is dark. This is very much the most PG thirteen. PG 13 movie Marvel has produced. Like usually it's just because of the violence, yeah. but this is very, very much like just uh, pushing that boundary of PG 13. Well, I think Dr. Strange too, the last Dr. Strange. That oh yeah. Multiverse movie. of madness. Yeah. I messed up on that one too. And I took my kids to see that and I was like, what is happening? I'm really, <laughs> I, I do not win any mom awards lately. Cause my, we watched that and my son was like, why would you take us to see this? This is very scary. <laughs> All right. Well, let's wrap this up. Uh, it is late for me and Alex and uh, Rainey's got some kids to try and take to counseling, I guess. Yeah, <laughs> I have scarred them for life. <laughs> <laughs> well, Rainey, please let everyone know where they can follow you on social media. So you can find the Red Dove on uh, Apple, Spotify, uh, Good Pods, anywhere you get your regular podcasts, you can find us as well. We're also on Instagram, the Red Dove. And we are on Facebook too. And uh, we are on Twitter as well. So you can find us on all of those things. And I cannot stress how much I love the Red Dove podcast. It is one of my go-tos every time I have a few saved up for my upcoming trip. So I will be listening to those while I'm driving across the country. And uh, Rainy, again, thank you so much for taking the time to be here. It is always a pleasure to have you. And I can't wait to bring you back again. Please do. Thank you so much for having me. I always have such a great time on the show. It's awesome. Of course. Glad you love being here too. You can follow me on Twitter at Josh underscore scar. You can follow the podcast at talking smack pod. Please join our discord. Alex, please tell everyone about the discord. Our discord is where we have longer form communications in this thing called text, which are little forums where you can write stuff. And a lot of the times we eventually reply to you. We have a (laughs) (laughs) And because some of us are bad at our jobs, we reply way too quickly. (laughs) Yep. Mostly Matt. (laughs) (laughs) And you can find a link to that discord in our episode descriptions. You can please email us your thoughts of movies, TV shows, suggestions, whatever you want. Uh, No nudes, please. Uh, We are all married. I think who who is not married in in our group. Um, Yeah, no, I'm just gonna say no nudes, Um, but you can feel free to send thoughts, suggestions, whatever else, uh, at to tsmackpod at gmail.com. Thank you so much to Leo Allen for our musical themes. Thank you to Beppo for our original avatars and Retro Ale Studios for our Ricky avatar. Please like, subscribe, rate, review on your podcatcher of choice. And most importantly, thanks everyone so much for listening. Alex, who is doing our theme music this week? Sarah McLaughlin is doing the musical out for this week because it, This movie really needed an ASPCA rating. (laughs) (laughs) We will always remember you, dear listeners. 
<laughs> Thanks so much for listening. Take care. Arms of an angel. Don't get us <laughs> struck, Alex. Don't get us struck. Watch Star Trek. We actually missed that for like two weeks. Uh...